How are we doing, church? Doing good? All right, you look good. Grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Everybody can find Genesis. Even if you're new to Bible study, it's in the beginning. Go to the front. Or um, you, if you haven't downloaded the app yet, do that. You can look at it electronically. If you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, if you're just trying to like borrow your grandma's and, and you can't understand it, it looks like King James wrote it, just grab the one that's in front of you in the, in the seat back and uh, open it there. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 17. We're studying Father Abraham. And it's neat because, you know, he, Father Abraham had many sons, and, and my father's here. My dad and my stepmom are sitting on the very front row, all right? So that's pretty cool. And you all know him as the one that introduced us all to Vena sausages, so that's pretty neat. <laughs> and, uh, and, and imagine, I was just thinking about this. Um, don't you wish you could preach to your parents? Wouldn't that be cool? So I might stray away from the message and say some other stuff later. But uh, I, I would just want to say this to everybody here that... Um, I am the man that I am today because of my dad, and, and I, I hope and pray that I, that I am half the dad that he is and was that I was growing up, and I appreciate it. And a part of it is because, amen, and, uh, and a big part of it was just the encouraging words that he would give me, um, like when we planted this church, and I called him and said, Daddy, we're going to put our church in an old Walmart, and he said, boy, I always thought you'd work at Walmart, that's what he said, all right, so, <laughs> and stuff like that, so, uh, so, hey, once again, can we just thank my dad and stepmom for being here? So we're, we're in week two of this series called Sovereign Legacy. And the word sovereign just means that God is in charge. That's what it means. It means that nothing's over his head, nothing's out of his hands, that even if your life feels like it's out of control, that's why your feelings are not your God. But God is God, that he is in control. And that only an almighty sovereign God could even take... Um, your jacked up circumstances that you and I got ourselves into, and he can still use that because God works in all things for the good of those that love him or are called according to his purpose. And so that's what sovereign means. It just means that God's in charge. And then legacy means this, that your life matters. It does, it matters. And that your life is going to have an impact on more than just you and that you will leave a legacy. And by God's goodness and grace that he could use you to leave this sovereign Legacy, And so last week we started with Abraham. His name was Abram. It's going to change today to Abraham. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 17, verse 1. And the Bible says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, why is that problematic? Do you remember how old Abraham was last week? He was 75 years old last week. And now one week later for us, 24 years later from, for him, God shows back up. So what we're going to talk about this morning is this. You ever feel like God's kind of slow? And I, I know you're not supposed to talk about this in church, but just, just go with me here for a little while, okay? Do you ever feel like sometimes God showed up to you or some preacher or pastor or somewhere you read or a Bible verse or whatever, and you feel like you got a promise from God, and then if you look at the current circumstances of your life, if you're honest, you want to go, I'm God? Do you care? Are you there? Are you even paying attention? Because it looks like you're not doing your job very well right now. Because as I look at the circumstances of my life, I figured out what you ought to do. So if you would just listen to me on this, things would get way better. You know what? One of the problems with reading the Bible, here's the problem. Some of you look nervous. It's that in chapter 15, when Abraham is... 75 years old, God comes to Abraham and gives him this incredible promise. And then what we do is we just do this. We turn the page, and two seconds later, in our world, he's 99 years old. But the problem is Abraham's hanging out in that 24 years. 
just hanging out in that 24 years. And you remember last week when God shows up, I mean, <clears throat> he, he gives him some pretty amazing promises, right? Hey, just leave the, leave the land that you're in, get your wife, go to the promised land that I'm going to show you one day, and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. The entire world is going to be blessed by you. Whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And he says that when he's 75, and then for 24 years, it's crickets. Nothing. I mean, you know, I'm thinking three weeks later, Sarah's coming in going, hey, is God showing back up? Like, nope, not yet. But I'm sure he'll be here any minute in 24 years. And here's the problem. God's the one that created the angst, right? I think Abraham and Sarah were doing just fine in the Ur of Chaldees all by themselves, you know, hanging out with their extended family. And, and it looks like he was doing pretty well. And if you're honest, you can say, God, listen, I wouldn't be all freaked out right now, but you promised me. You're the one that got my hopes up. So what are you doing? Why not just come to me at, when I'm 99 and say, hey, guess what? Later this month. Why are you going to make me wait for 24 years? So have you ever been there? Because Here's the thing. Right now, I'm not. I feel like the most blessed man alive. I mean, I get to work at the greatest church on earth. I have a beautiful wife, healthy kids, awesome family. I mean, things are going well. My football team even wins without the best player in the world, okay? So whatever. God loves me a lot, okay? So, but in one phone call, it can all change, can it? So, you know, there's, a, there's also some verses in the Bible like Psalm 22, 1. You should memorize this that King David got to a place in his life where he felt like God had abandoned him, that God was slow, that God was off his throne and playing golf or something, not paying attention. And so in Psalm 22, 1, uh, David doesn't write this psalm just so Jesus can quote him later. He means it when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what God does? God says, That's good. Write that in the book. Print that one. Because there's going to be some people that feel that way. So do you ever feel like God's slow? Well, it doesn't bother God that he's being slow, because look what he does. He shows up to Abraham when he's 99, and he says, here's what God says to him. He says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, verse 2, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly, verse 3, and Abraham fell on his face. You know why? Because that's what you do in the presence of God. So even in this sermon this morning, as I kind of wag my finger at God a little bit, if Jesus were to show up in his glory right now, I'd be like, oh, my bad, and you just drop to your face, that's what you do. And so that's what he does. He falls to his face, and God says to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. To which, what is Abraham thinking right now? Yeah, you know, I've heard that 24 years ago. Verse 5, No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, if I'm Abraham, at this point I'm going, Actually, God, you haven't. I mean, like, I don't want to kind of kind of squabble over the details, but you said, you just said this past tense, that I, you have made me the father of a multitude of nations. I don't have a son yet. So I appreciate the promise, but I'm still waiting. God doesn't slow down a bit. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 
Now, if I'm Abraham, now he's a man of faith, I've, sometimes. I think I'd go, um, God, with all due respect, yeah, you told me that 24 years ago. And I've been waiting. And I've even stepped out in faith. Like we were doing just fine in the Ur of Chaldees. And we left. And we've done everything that you've asked us to do. And so why, God? Why have you been so slow to answer your promise? You ever been there? Because think about this. 24 years, this would be like if God showed up to you and gave you a promise in 1990. Some of you weren't born in 1990. Okay? That's all right. We're just jealous of you. But you ever feel that way? You ever feel like God won't behave or you just don't understand why, God? Why? You ever pray prayers for God? Say, God, I got this figured out. Listen, here's what you do, okay? (laughs) If you just answer this, I promise you'll get the glory. It will be awesome. I've got it all figured out. I know you're busy running the whole universe and you got the whole thing in the Middle East going on right now. I'm sure it's got your attention. But if you'll just hook me up on this one, I'm telling you, this isn't even a selfish prayer. This is a good prayer. Like some of you are single. You've been single for a long time. And you're praying like crazy. And you read these verses like... Um, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and you go, I agree, God. I agree. So if you'll show me one of those, I will help them not be alone, right? You watched the baptism video today and went, I need to go to Costa Rica on a mission trip. That's what you're praying. And, and we laugh about it a little bit, but you're, you're thinking, God, I don't understand because it's kind of funny to laugh in here or whatever. But when everybody goes home from church today, they get in cars together and I go home by myself. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. And you're praying, woo here I am, find me. And yet, there's just this deep level of loneliness that you feel. And you're going, God, I don't understand. Because I can't wait to be the kind of godly, godly wife or godly husband that you've called me to be. And my stupid co-worker found an amazing husband on Christian Mingle. Are you kidding me? And I'm praying, and I've got my resume out there on all those, and I've just come up. Where are you, God? Where are you? And you've got some Christian friends just saying some dumb stuff to you about he's not going to give you a man until you're just content with him. And so you go, here, God, I am so content in you. There, I said it. Where is he? Or some of them lean in and go, well, maybe you have the gift of singleness. And you're like, well, I would like to return it because I burn with passion, okay? I've not signed up for this gift. Some of you are single again. You're single again, and you didn't want to be. You didn't want to be. You were here for every Song of Solomon series. You were here for the whole thing. And you did everything I told you to do. You submitted, you're praying for, you're pursuing, you're loving, you're faithful, you are honest, you've done your part, straight up, you did your part. And you knew in that day when you stood in that altar, even though your marriage wasn't perfect up to this point, but when you said, till death do I, do I part, you, you meant it, and they didn't keep their promise. And in your ceremony, you said, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And literally, some man came and tore your family apart. And you're praying, what the heck, God? I don't get it. I don't get it. I got some friends, and they're horrible husbands and wives. Somehow they work it out and stay together. And I've, I've done my part. So God, the Bible says you hate divorce, so why wouldn't you answer my prayer and change the heart of my husband or wife? 
and you're pursuing and you're trying and you're full of grace and they're not. And you're going, God, that's a good prayer. You should answer that prayer. Or how about this one? Some of you recently went to the doctor and the doctor called and said, hey, we need to come in and talk about something. And you know that's not good. If they just tell you on the phone, it's better. If they say, we got to come in, that's not awesome. And then you go in and you hear the word cancer. And you went, no, 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 I have a gym membership. I eat blueberries. I cannot have cancer, okay? (laughs) Can we just all agree that cancer sucks? And I know you're not supposed to say sucks at church, but I don't care. Cancer just sucks, doesn't it? It just doesn't make sense, and it just sucks. If I'm God, here's what I do. I make a new rule. Only terrorists get cancer. That's what I would do if I was God. That'd be my rule. That'd be it. Amen? That's what I would do. Somebody would be like, jihad. Oh, I don't feel good. That's what I would do. And if you came in, I have cancer. Oh, you must be a terrorist. That's how that works. Don't be a terrorist. <clears throat> and then maybe, maybe you have cancer. Somebody you love is sick, whatever it is. And you're praying for God to heal them. And then you're going, God, now why wouldn't you answer this one? I don't, I don't get it. Because here's the deal, God, your own record for healing people. I know you can do it before. You've done it. You've done it. And sometimes, Jesus, you heal people by accident. Are you familiar with that in the New Testament? Jesus is walking around in the crowd. There's this woman that has the issue of bleeding. She fights her way through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and the Bible says that power goes out from him, and he says, who's that that touched me? You're healing people on accident. Could you please heal my mom, and I'm asking you specifically for her? Please? And sometimes there have been times where Pastor Ben and I have been in hospital rooms together, and prayed with everything we're made of that God would heal. And we had, we had an incredible ending to our prayer. God, if you'll just, just let her get up, let's walk out into the waiting room, and everybody will see the evidence and believe in you, because we'll tell them it's you. And God, I know you can do it. It's not even that hard for you. It's not like the lights in heaven are going to dim down for a second, okay? You can do this without even thinking about it. Just, just, answer, just answer the prayer. And he doesn't. And I've even felt guilty about Ben and I going together to the hospital room because I feel like sometimes we get people's hopes up. Because even though it's bad theology, you see both of us coming in and you think, oh, this is going to be good. we got the talker and the singer in one place. The prayer is going to be amazing. And then we've prayed for other people and they get healed. And, look, I'm a professional Christian, okay? You're just here, you're volunteering today, I'm paid, okay? I'm a pro at this. Been in hospitals for 22 years and there's... Like, there's no rhythm or rhyme to it at all. Some people get healed, some people die. Can't figure it out. And it doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah, the good news about this sermon is all, I, I don't even have a good answer for you. Um, some of you lose a family member. And you're like, why, God? I don't understand. Some of you have been laid off. And to make it worse, you're a hard worker. Like, you've been busting your butt in your company for all these years. And just a few months ago, they were talking about promotion for you. And something happened way above your prey grade. And now you you find out that you're laid off. And it's not because you're a slacker. You work hard. And yet your brother-in-law is a slacker. And you know because he posts stuff on Facebook every three minutes. How can he even be working? And yet he gets a promotion. And you don't know how you're going to pay your bills today. And you're going... God, I don't understand. I think I've done my part. <clears throat> this one's a big one around here that we read a lot about on prayer, prayer cards and, and just know people that, that you want to have a baby. 
I mean, what more pure prayer could there be? Dear God, I love my spouse so much, and we want to add to our family. And you can't. Or you haven't been able to yet. And then you're just scratching your head going, I don't get it, God. Aren't you the author of life? And here's what I'm praying for, life. You're the author, author of life. And I'm talking about if you'll just give us a baby, we'll raise them in the church, raise them in the gospel, dedicate them at the church. Like, I think we would be the kind of parents that you're looking for in this world. And, I know you're not supposed to say this, but I say a lot of stuff you're not supposed to say. How come it seems like the most unfit people in the world are the most fertile parents of all time? How's that happening? She doesn't even want to. She's got a litter. I just want one, and we, what? I don't even have an answer, y'all, except this. I hope you'll get this here. At the church of 1122, you don't have to fake it. Just whatever you do, however you decide to respond, just please don't fake it, okay? I mean, if you're mad, be mad. If you've got questions, have questions. But whatever you do, just don't fake it. And here's why. The fake you is doing just fine. God wants to deal with the real you. In fact, part of the reason you don't go to your old church anymore is because you had to fake it there. You don't have to fake it here. Now, I'm not saying you've got to throw up over every usher, right? How you doing? Actually, blah, and you just put your whole life on them, all right? But there should be a few people that you can be real and honest with. Because some of you lied this morning as you were walking in, and somebody asked you, how you doing? And you said, oh, we're doing fine. And husband, you went, you ain't doing fine. You weren't doing fine in the car on the ride over here because your head spun around three times and you spewed up pea soup because you're possessed by a demon. And if you're doing fine, why don't you go home and be fine with him? That's what you think, okay? So I'm, I, look, we all got issues. We all got issues. And sometimes we find ourselves in this place between God's promise and God's provision. And we got questions and doubts and issues. And that's where Abraham is here. So whatever you do, whatever you do, just don't fake it. Don't fake it. And then what happens in the text here, after God shows up after his 24-year break, <clears throat> is it gets kind of weird. And I don't really want to preach on this, but it's here, and so I need to. And you also need to understand this, because a whole lot of the Bible is going to refer to the next few verses all throughout the rest of Scripture. Verse 9, ready? And God said to Abraham, okay, and this is before he's fixed any of his situation. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, and this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Now, one of the things you need to know in the Bible is that covenants always have a sign. Remember, like Noah gets a covenant and he gets a rainbow in the New Testament or the New Covenant. Our, our sign is the cross and the empty tomb. So here is the, uh, here's the sign here. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, if you don't know what that is, ask your mom at lunch. It'll be awesome, okay? So... <clears throat> If I'm, if I'm Abraham, to be honest, in this moment, I'm going, excuse me? Hold on. You remember in chapter 15, God, where I put my faith in you and you counted it to me as righteousness? Right, right. And I, I cut the covenant with you. I was in this covenant with you. So what in the heck does circumcision have to do with anything about faith and me following you? I don't understand. And so God just keeps going on. Verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Nobody had any idea that's what we were talking about this morning at church, did you? And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. At this point, Abraham's thinking, okay, whew, I kind of got the, you know, grandfathered in. And in the next verse, every male throughout your generations, dang it, it's going to happen to him too. 
Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off. Ha <laughs> nice pun, God, from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right. The next three things I'm going to give you is this. I made them up. I don't know if they're true or not. I made them up. These are not Bible verses. This is what I think. So, first of all, I think the women here were going, I don't see the big deal. All right? If I can have a baby, you can go through a little surgery. Okay? So, I'm really just talking to the men. But as I begin to think about what in the world does this have to do with faith in God, here's three things that I thought about. Number one is this, is that God deals with the most important part of your life. Okay, listen, ladies, if you ask a man, what's the most important part of your life? He's going to say, my heart, and he's a liar. That is not. It's not. It's just not. And so God, God goes to the most important places, things that, that, that we hold dearest to. That's where God wants to do work. Secondly, is that he takes away something that you don't really need. Okay? In the New Testament, he's going to talk about the circumcision of the heart and what God's going to do at the heart level is cut out the things in your heart that you can live without. And then thirdly, if this, this is the one that, that really gets me, is that circumcision is very personal, okay? Very personal. And it's a sign. You see how he said it in here? It's a sign. My question has always been, a sign for who? Like, who knows? A sign for your football team in the locker room? A sign for that one weird guy at the YMCA that will never get dressed, all right? All the men know what I'm talking about. You walk in the locker room, you're like, seriously, dude, you've been in here all day. <laughs> Ask your husband. He's, he's in every YMCA, all right? So, a sign for who? Because the reality is, is that you could be a Jewish person and look the part on the outside. You could have the right robe on. You could have the right prayer shawl. You could not cut your sideburns and have the, like, the two Jewish dreadlocks. You could have the little yarmulke on your head. You could look like it from the outside, and nobody would really know except the people that you were totally exposed to. Those would be the only people that would know if you were in this covenant or not. Get it? Same thing happens in this room every day. That you could play the part of the Christian. That you could look like the Christian from the outside. You can have your Christian t-shirt on. You can have the 1122 sticker on your, on your car. You could have your swagger wagon all decked out with a big fish for dad and a smaller fish for mom and several little guppies for your children. And then a lot of multicolored fish for all your compassion kids behind them, okay? All of that. You could have your big ESV study Bible and walk into disciple group with two ribbons and let everybody know one ribbon is to mark my devotional life and one my study life. You could go on mission trips. You could do all the stuff externally. But one day you will stand exposed before an almighty God and only he will be able to know if you're in covenant with him or not. Maybe that's why it's a sign. Because it actually wasn't a sign for other people but only those that you stood exposed before now here's the big takeaway so <clears throat> we found out last week abraham puts his faith or trust in god and god counts it to him as righteousness and so you know what abraham does here abraham walks through with this covenant even before god fixes any of the details and first of all i mean think about how crazy is this you want to talk about a great leader abraham's a great leader if a grown man could get another grown man to do this hey come here we don't want to talk about something do what 
Yeah, and everybody in his household is circumcised. He should have written a leadership book or sold Amway. He'd have been a billionaire or something, all right? People followed this man. But he walks through this not because God worked out his circumstances, but because he trusted that God was the sovereign Lord, period, regardless of circumstances. You see, faith is not about checking out if the circumstances change, and then if they go in your favor, then you trust God. That's just, that's just survival. That's just self-preservation. That's not putting your faith or trust in the sovereign Lord that wants to be your heavenly Father. And so that's what Abraham does here. He believes or he trusts. Do you realize, do you, do you, know, do you know how much better of a perspective we have than Abraham has? Because listen, here's the benefit that me and you have post-resurrection. Do you know why we can believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he'll always keep his promises? Because he died on the cross and he was resurrected on the third day. And because he resurrected on the third day and he kept that promise, then we can trust that he's going to keep all of his promises to us. I don't know what Abraham is basing this on except that he trusted God. And some of you, some of you have got to believe that God's going to keep his promise and the only thing you have to hang on is this. It's because he said he would. It's because he said he would. And that's what faith and trust is. Regardless of whether the circumstances change or not. In fact, many of you, your circumstances are actually going to get worse. They are. They are. And he's called you to believe and trust in him anyway. Not because he's just going to make it better. One day, there is coming a day where all things will be renewed. There will be no more tears, okay? One day, if you trust him. But if you wait until that day, it's too late. You see, the Bible says that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. So that means every single one of us will bow our knee to Jesus. Now, if you choose to do it on this side of his return, it's good news for you. If you wait until he comes back, not so good news. But you can bow or you can bow. Those are your options. And so what faith is, is bowing now. When I don't get all the circumstances, but I'm going to trust you. That's what Abraham did here. Verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, and he's thinking, all right, what are you going to do to her? He says, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah. And he's like, that's it? You're just saying the I to an H? That's the whole thing? Yeah, that's it. And Sarah will be her name. He's like, I think you can pronounce it the same. Verse 16. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations, and kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Look what Abraham's response is. He falls on his face, and he laughs. He's not laughing like, ha ha. He's laughing in doubt, like, yeah, right. He's like, look, when you promised me that I was going to have a kid and I was 75, I didn't know if you could pull it off or not, but I was pretty sure because, you know, I work out and I do Pilates and I feel pretty good. I was in good shape. Sarah was 65. She's got a gym membership. So I thought, all right, we can maybe pull this off. But now I'm 100 and she's 90. Ain't no chance, God. And so his response, he falls on his face in worship and at the same time he laughs. In other words, he worships and doubts simultaneously. I point this out because I, I want you to have permission to do the same thing in here every week. Because sometimes you walk in here and you believe hallelujah and you want to believe rooftops and you want to sing with your hands up. But at the same time, when you know when you walk out of here, you still got cancer, the bills are still unpaid, your relationships or family are all jacked up. And so you can simultaneously worship God. God, I choose to trust you. I respond to who you are and what you've done. And yet none of my circumstances have changed. And what God does is receives his worship. 
He just doesn't want you to fake it. That's it. Just don't fake it. And so he falls on his face and he worships and doubts simultaneously. Verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, I've got to explain that, especially if you're new to Bible study. About 12 years into Abraham waiting on God to return with his promise, I'm sure Abraham and Sarah are talking, and Sarah's like, Hey, have you heard from God lately? They're like, No. We've been waiting 12 years. You think he's coming? I don't know. I don't know. doesn't look like it. So what, what, what Sarah does is Sarah goes to Abraham and says, well, listen, we have to have an heir. If we are going to be the parents of a multitude of nations that bless the whole world, we've got to quit waiting on God, and they take matters into their own hands. And so Sarah says, why don't, I've got a good idea, okay? Why don't you sleep with my maiden, and y'all have a baby, and that will be our heir. And then the Bible says that Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. Listen, you got to hang with me for a second. Husbands, you're not supposed to listen to the voice of your wife. That's why Adam got in trouble. You know why? The voice of your wife doesn't reveal what she, like who she really is. And you already know this. Because when she's not doing awesome and you go, how are you doing? She goes, fine. She's lying to you. You're supposed to listen to her heart, not just what's coming out of her mouth. Okay? But Abraham, just like Adam, was passive and not the leader. And, and so he does it. And he sleeps with Hagar and they have Ishmael. And the reason I want to point this out to you is it causes a mess. It causes a mess that we are currently walking through right now. 4,000 years later. It causes a mess. And every single time you and I don't trust that God is who he says he is and he's going to keep his promise. And we say, no, you know what? I got this. I'm going to take control of this. That a lot of the times the pain that you and I walk through, they're from self-inflicted wounds. And so we put ourselves in there. I mean, you don't believe me? Just think about it for a second. Like, you want intimacy because God has created you for intimacy, but God hasn't given you someone to be intimate with. So you say, okay, I'll just lower the standard and I'll go for sex instead of intimacy. Did that make your life better or worse? You can say ouch or amen, but it's true. Or you were looking for peace that only the Holy Spirit can bring. You wanted to take the pain away. And so instead of waiting on Him and trusting in Him, and trusting that he would give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. You went to the bottle, you went to the bong, or you went to the, to the, to the pills. And you said, I'm going to take care of this myself. And I'm telling you, it made it worse. I mean, it's awesome for a minute. Temptation is always tempting. But then, I mean, ask any recovering addict regardless of what they believe. And they'll say, look, I tried to take matters into my own hands and it made it worse. That's what Abraham's trying to do here. He's trying to say, all right, God, about 12 years ago, I called an audible because I got tired of waiting on you. And so we went a different route. So how about Ishmael? Can we go with my plan? In verse 19, God says, no, no. Now, here's part of why I want to point this out too. You realize no matter how jacked up you've gotten yourself into, like no matter what your situation is, Abraham is not disqualified. He's not disqualified from the grace of God. And some of you, I know your situation's bad, and it's your fault. Nobody's loved you enough to tell you that. It's just the truth. You're in the right place. This is a movement for all people, all kind of people, especially people that look around their current circumstances and go, this is not the way I saw this going. Yeah, you are in the right place. And when Christ poured out his love for you on the cross, it counted for you. It counted for Abraham. And he did some bad things. 
But there's nothing that you can do that is bigger than the grace of God poured out at the cross. Nothing. And so even Abraham is not disqualified. But God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Go to chapter 18. We'll pick it up in verse 9. God sends three messengers to show up to talk to uh, Abraham and Sarah one more time. In verse 9, it says, They said to him, and these are the three messengers that show up, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. So now we're at 25 years. Again, to which if I'm Abraham, I'm like, Why couldn't this be the first visit? You know, why we got to wait 25 years for this? He says, I'll show up about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. That's one way to put it, right? Verse 12. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. She's talking about having a baby. And she's like, you know what? I'm worn out and my husband's old. Some of you feel that way? You should, all right, because it's just true. You know, sometimes you think that you are beyond the reach of God, and that's just a lie. It's just a lie. Then verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, this is the most important verse that we're going to read. God asked them, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Every single one of you that is going through some mess right now, if you're in that waiting period, that 24-year period where you're, you're between the promise and the provision of God, here's what y'all, I dare you to do it. Get out your notes and write it down or write it on your phone or whatever. You just write that thing down. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your health, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's your finances, whatever it is, you just write it there and under it you put this verse, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because most of us in the room think, nah, nothing's too hard for the Lord except when you think about that specific area in your life. Then you think, yeah, but that might be. Like my marriage might be. Or my finances might be. Or my addiction might be because I've promised and I've promised and I've been to meetings and I've done everything that I can do and yet I still wake up every day and want that more than anything else. And God would ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know what? One thing that a lot of 1122 will struggle with, they think that their salvation is too hard for the Lord. Because you think, God can't save me if you just knew my story. Ha ha, do me a favor. Don't ask my dad to tell a lot of teenage stories, okay? You won't let me be your pastor anymore. So here's what I know. If he can save me, he can save you too. Because nothing's too hard for him. And then here's the answer. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. When? At the appointed time. Do you know when God's going to fulfill his promise to you? At the appointed time. Do you know when that is? Me either. Me either. I don't know. I just don't know. I just know it will be at the appointed time. And by the way, this wasn't just like an Old Testament move that God would do. You can look all throughout the New Testament. One of the things that helps me are the people in the scriptures that felt like you and I feel sometimes when we don't feel like God is doing what he ought to do. Jeremiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, he looks at God after he'd been beaten up and left for dead in a ditch, and he says, God, you tricked me. You seduced me. The Hebrew word is patah. You tricked me. Or you can go New Testament. You remember John the Baptist? He's a pretty faithful guy, right? You know what Jesus said about him? That he's the greatest man born among women. 
You know what that means? I know you think you're awesome. John the Baptist is better than you. Cooler than you. That's what Jesus said. And guess what? He's in jail. John the Baptist goes to jail. Why? For being obedient to Jesus. And he begins to doubt and sends some disciples to Jesus and says, Hey, are you the one or should I wait on a different one? You know what John the Baptist is thinking? Exactly what you and I are thinking right now. God, are you sure you're doing your job right? Or in John chapter 11, I love this one. In John chapter 11, these two sisters come running up to Jesus, or these messengers come running up to Jesus, and they, and they say, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. Now, they don't even say his name. So think about this. If somebody were to run up here to you today and say, the one that you love is sick, who comes to mind? Say, I'm thinking my kids or my wife. And you know what Jesus does? He does not go to heal his friend Lazarus. He just kind of hangs out. Kind of keeps doing what he's doing. And don't you think the disciples are like, all right, time out, Jesus. I don't understand. Did you not hear what they told you? You're healing people that you don't even know. Don't you think you ought to take care of this guy that's your friend? And then when Jesus shows up, you should read it for yourself. In John chapter 11, Jesus shows up and the two sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead now and he's dead for four days. And so they come to Jesus and they say, if you'd only been here. Like you could have fixed this, but you didn't fix it. And we don't understand. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and your brother will rise. And then they think he's talking about like one day when they go to heaven. And so they're like, yeah, we know, we know. And then even before Jesus does anything to change the circumstances, in John 11, the two sisters of Lazarus say, we believe that you are the Christ. You know what that means? They take their faith, even with all their doubts and questions, and none of the circumstances have changed. And they say, but we're just going to trust and believe in you anyway. You see... That's what Abraham does here. And he just trusts that at the appointed time that God will do what he says he's going to do. And just skip to chapter 21 because here's the fulfillment of the promise. Now, if you just want to be entertained, you should read chapters 19 and 20, you know, after church, right? Abraham tries to pimp his wife out again. God won't let him. You think you're bad. You ain't that bad, okay? He tries again. God won't let him. And then in chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. And as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said... Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know what happens? God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promise. He rarely does it on our timetable, but he always keeps his promise. And he doesn't, um, he doesn't disqualify Abraham and Sarah because of, at times, their doubts and their questions and what we would perceive as their lack of faith. In fact, you know one of the things that I've figured out at this point in my life is that sometimes when I have this idea in my mind of something I should do, even if, if it's for God, and I know all the details of how I'm going to get there, it's typically just my own idea. But what I've realized is that it's a God-sized vision when God calls me to do something and I look at the circumstances and go, unless you do something big, God, there's no possible way this is going to happen. And I think the reason that he does that is because he wants us to step out in faith and trust him and that he would be the one that gets all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. 
And so God is still in the miracle business, and he is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. So here's the point. That God's timing is always perfect. Now, right now, you may not feel that way. But the story's not over yet. Your story's not over yet. But God's timing is always perfect. He's rarely early, but he's never late. And it may take patience. I promise you it'll take more faith. And in the end, his ways are worth the wait. And this takes faith and trust in him. Not putting your faith and trust in your external circumstances. And again, this happens all throughout the scriptures. One of my favorite places is in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, when I'm in those moments where it seems to me that God's not doing his job right, then I always go to John chapter 6 to help me um, just kind of work through this. Because what happens at this place is, um, in John chapter 6, everything's going exceedingly well. That Jesus started a ministry, and in less than three years, it grew to 5,000 people. Sound familiar? And so, here's Jesus in the beginning of John chapter 6, and he feeds 5,000 people. Now, the scripture says 5,000 men, so most guys probably brought a date, and so it's at least 10,000, maybe upwards of 15,000 people. Jesus does this huge miracle, and the crowds are growing like crazy. And can you imagine right then what the disciples were thinking? Disciples like Peter are thinking, sweet, we made the right choice, we followed the right rabbi. Like when he asked me to drop my nets and follow after him, you know, I was a little scared, but it looks like it's working out awesome. I mean, this ministry thing is really getting some traction here. And then, right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he walks on the water. That's pretty cool. I don't care who you are. Okay, that's just cool. And then, when you get to chapter 6, verse 22, when the thousands of people have gathered to hear Jesus teach and preach, and again, I believe that Peter is kind of sitting in the back going, wow, finally, this is awesome. I mean, you know, the president of Jesus Incorporated is blowing up, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be like senior VP. This is going to work out well for me. And then Jesus starts, it starts in, in verse 22. It's one of the longest recorded sermons in the scriptures. And here's Jesus' sermon to the crowds. He says, behold, I tell you the truth. That means, all right, everybody wake back up and listen. All right, put down your fish sandwiches and listen. He says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. All right, so if I'm honest and I'm in the back of the crowd, I'm going, what did he just say? <laughs> Unless I do what and drink what? Uh, maybe I misunderstood. And just so nobody misunderstood, all throughout chapter 6, Jesus keeps saying it over and over and over. And the Jewish people are all confused because he's like, I'm the bread of life. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And so then, I mean, if I'm there, I'm thinking, well, I guess I got no part with you. I appreciate the fish sandwich. I, you know, heard about walking on water. That's awesome. But I ain't eating nobody and drinking no blood, okay? And then the Bible says that the big, successful crowds begin to leave. They begin to leave. They begin to walk away. They begin to say, I don't know about this. In verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, that message, they said, this is a hard saying, you think? Who can listen to it? And they went, not me, I'm out. Now, if I'm Peter, if I'm the apostle Peter, I think in this moment, I'm going to step in and call a timeout. I would step into the crowd and be like, um, at this point, we're going to take a little break in the message, all right? Uh, the rabbi's kind of tired because he walked on water over here. Remember that? Hey, you want to talk about that? No? Okay, awesome. All right. Uh, so, everybody, we've got 12 basket loads of fish sandwiches, so once you pick one of those up, remember that the Messiah just made out of a little bit, okay? So maybe you could just have that for a minute. And then I'd look at Jesus and go, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
You're screwing this up. It's going great, and now you're making everybody leave. What are you talking about? Do you really want people to come up here and bite you on the arm and squirt a little blood in their face? That's what you're talking about? Because, by the way, we didn't go over this either before I joined your organization, okay? And then, if I could step back in time, all right, post-resurrection, here's what I know based on that passage. He's talking about communion. That's what he's talking about. That he would go to the cross, be crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and then he gave us communion to remind us that he died on the cross for our sin. That's what he's talking about. So I would lean into Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, why don't you explain to everybody what you're talking about? You're not talking about line up and take a bite off my earlobe. You're not talking about that. You're talking about a little bitty wafer that tastes like junk, and you put it in your mouth, and it gets stuck, and you keep it there until lunch, and then a little shot glass of Welch's. That's all. Ooh, that's it. Not cannibalism. You're talking about walk, getting in the line, ripping off a piece of pita, dip it in some Welch's, and that's it. Get a little bit on your shirt. Whatever. That's what you're talking about. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It represents the crucifixion and resurrection. But you ain't talking about cannibalism. So if you could just explain it to everybody, then they'd go, oh, okay, that makes sense. We'll stick around. And Jesus is like, all right, thanks for the advice. Truly I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And the crowds went, I'm out. It's getting weird. Some of you feel that way about being here today. I understand, okay? And then, this is when it gets super deep for me. And then he looks at Peter. He looks at Peter in verse 66. And he says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve. Now, Peter's going to answer, so I think he directs the question to Peter. So Jesus looks at Peter, looks at the twelve, and he says, do you want to go away as well? And here's why I think he asked Peter that. Because In all these places, in other parts of the Gospels, Jesus would answer verbally. He would answer questions that people ask internally. So read the Gospels and you'll see this. It'll be like, the Pharisee thought in his heart, and then Jesus would say, let me answer your question. You're like, whoa, 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 I didn't even ask it. He's like, I know, but I know what you're thinking. That's how Jesus rolls, okay? So if I'm ever sitting at dinner with Jesus, I'm just thinking, hallelujah, 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 because he knows. So I think in this moment, when the circumstances are all jacked up, Peter is going, man, I think I'm leaving. And so Jesus says, hey, Peter, you don't want to go too, do you? Which is a legitimate question. It's legitimate. Like when you're lonely and you've been praying for 24 years and you're still lonely, it's a legitimate question. Or when you have been faithful and he or she has not, and you trusted God with your marriage, that's a legitimate question. Or... When you, again, when you've been faithful and a good steward of your body and you're sick, you're like, God, come on. Do you care? Are you there? It's a legitimate question. And so Jesus asked Peter, you don't want to go too, do you? And here's Peter's response, and here's the rock on which I stand. It's Peter's response. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And you know what Jesus does not do? Okay, come here and let me explain what I'm talking about. He doesn't. But here's what Peter does. Here's what Peter knows. Peter knows what you and I know intuitively. He looks at Jesus and he says, all right, Jesus, I don't understand the circumstances. I don't understand the confusion. I'm pretty sure you could clear it up, but for whatever reason, you're deciding not to in this moment. But I do know this. Where else am I going to go? Because to walk away from you is to walk toward something else. 
And I've walked this world before. I've walked down that path before. And everything this world has to offer, including every other man-made religion out there, is nothing but temporary in my attempt to you. Or, or my attempt to just cover up something for a season. But you're the only one that offers eternal life. That's it. And so to walk away from you is to walk towards something else. But you're the only one that can do anything about my circumstances. And eternally... You're the only one that controls that. You're the only one that offers the words of eternal life. And so then Peter's last comment is, we believe and we know that you are who you say you are and you are going to keep your promises. Even though as I look around in my immediate circumstance, it does not make any sense to me at all. So in those moments between God's promise and God's provision, here's what I cling to. He said, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's going to keep his promise simply because he said he is. And because he died on the cross, and he was resurrected from the grave. And in the meantime, where else am I going to go? Because every single person I know, or every single time I have walked away from him to try to take matters into my own hands, even when I'm frustrated with God, I've just made it worse. And every single time I've returned to him, I always return to the loving, open arms of a grace-filled heavenly father. And I know only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so I believe. And I trust. And I take my questions and my doubt and my lack of faith and my circumstances and all the things that I would have done differently, I just pick them up and I follow after Jesus. Why? Because he is who he says he is. And he always keeps his promises. There are some of you that it's actually the 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 horrible circumstances that you're in right now that God's going to use to bring you to Him. And you, actually, you thought it was God's wrath upon you, and it's actually His grace. One day you'll understand. It may not ever feel better, but today could be the day that you, that you say, okay, you know what, I've been running from Him, and now I'm going to stop and turn around and walk to Him. And today, He's going to change your eternity, and He may not change your circumstances today. But you don't have to walk through them alone. Because he'll walk through them with you. And some of you, kind of like Abraham, you've known God for a while. You've known him for a while. But when you didn't get what you wanted, when you wanted, because you didn't think God was doing his job right, you began to drift away. And you've drifted into a bunch of stuff that's only made it harder for you. And his message to you is just come home. Just come on home. And when you come home, you're not going to find condemnation. What you're going to find is a loving, heavenly father that has not disqualified you. But he's loved you, and he demonstrated it once and for all at the cross and the resurrection. And today, he just wanted to remind you that he is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promise. That's what Abraham knew. That's what I know. That's what you can know. Would you please bow your heads right where you are? Would you close your eyes? And for those of you that are ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ for the very first time, then today is your day. When you can say to God, God, I don't understand the circumstances. I don't understand why you haven't fixed my problems yet. I know you could, but for whatever reason, you've decided not to in this moment. And yet, even though my circumstances aren't the way I wanted them to be, God, in this moment, I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus because you are the only one that offers eternal life. And if that's you, and even in the midst of your current circumstances, you're ready to trust Christ as your Savior, would you raise your hand where you are? Would you say, Jesus, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Not just so that you would fix something, but because you are the only one 
that offers eternal life. If you've got your hand in the air, then you just pray a simple prayer to your heavenly Father. It's not a magic word. It's not even a hand in the air that saves you. It's what Christ did on the cross. So just in this moment, in your own words, just surrender to him. Just surrender to him. I want to ask that those of you with your hands up now, if you'd put them down. And I want to talk to the Christians, those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a while. But in your current circumstances, you feel like you're in the middle. You're in that 24 years between His promise and His provision. And things are not going the way you thought they were going to go. And you know, if you're honest, that you've been drifting away from Him and not been trusting Him and not been waiting on Him, but you've tried to take matters into your own hands. If you're bold enough, would you raise your hand and say, God, that's been me. Dear Father in Heaven, Lord, I pray for the men and women with their hands in the air. God, your sons and your daughters, Lord, I pray for just a fresh anointing of your grace upon grace upon grace in their lives. God, I pray they'll come to their senses. God, I pray that they'll let go and they'll lean into you. Once again, you will remind them of the joy of their salvation. That they didn't do anything to earn adoption in the first place. And that, God, we are your sons and we are your daughters. And that we might be able to rest in you and in you alone. And, God, I thank you that you love us because of who you are. And, God, I thank you that there's salvation in this place. And, God, I praise you for the men and the women that for the very first time today surrender to you. Surrender to you. And, God, I thank you above all that you are more than enough. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you please stand where you are? We respond in worship. That's what worship is. We respond to God for who he is and to the fact that he always keeps his promises. And we respond in a few ways. One is you can come to the altar. And I know for many of you, it's been stirred up in you. Look, that ain't me. That's the Holy Spirit in you. And you need to just come do work at the altar. I hope you'll come. For those of you that call 1122, just your church, then uh, we respond by bringing our first fruits, our tithes and offerings, to the giving boxes all around the room. Or you can give on your app, or you can give electronically at the kiosk. By the way, you have been so faithful, particularly in this last month, in that arena of the life of our church. And we respond by joining our voices together to sing to God for who He is and what He's done. However you need to, let us respond.